delighted this morning to um, welcome Catherine Burr. Um, known Catherine for a little while now. She's the founder of Orosso Chocolates. Saying that very carefully, I got told off for saying it wrong the other day. <laughs> um, Catherine's um, Catherine makes the most amazing tasting chocolates. They are absolutely delicious. Very intriguing flavours, um, bars and bonbons, um, all sorts of things. Actually, I'm not going to spoil too many secrets, but things like um, vegan raspberry fig leaf and coriander. Um, they're excellent. Every time I seem to speak to Catherine, she's been in The Observer or she's been in Consumer Magazine, Chocolatier, Guardian, Delicious Magazine, uh, Oxfordshire Living and quite a few more. So, uh, yeah, very impressive. Hi, Mel. Hi, everybody. So would you like to would you like to start the start at the beginning? Would you like to um, tell me a bit about Arosso, what you're doing before and how you came to start the business? Certainly. Um, well, seven years ago, I gave up sugar. Um, mainly, I mean, I didn't have any health issues, but I just felt everything I'd read about it. Uh, it was a good idea to do so. Um, sort of, sort of like a preventative thing, almost, if you like. Um, so, so I did that, and then we moved and lived in Africa for a while and we ended up in South Africa where um, there's a lot of keto uh, Mediterranean type diets about and there's a lot of really good keto type food. But when we came back to UK about uh, three years ago, I couldn't find that sort of food. I was getting quite frustrated about it. And particularly with chocolate, there was, um, there was nothing on the market. Now, I've got a food background and my whole family have really. And I tried to persuade, first of all, our daughter to do it in London in her cafe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she wasn't having that. So uh, eventually I decided to do it myself. Um, I mean, we eat very clean, pure food, so we don't have any preservatives, soy lecithin, artificial colouring and things. So I wanted also to make sure the product was like that. Um, so the actual name Arosso sort of really describes about it really and we came up with that name because all the other names that we wanted to call it were taken and we realized we'd have to make up a name uh -huh. so the so the AUR um, actually means gold in Welsh I'm Welsh which is why my name is Catherine um, it's also any scientist amongst you will know that AU is gold on the periodic table. Um, the Rosso refers to the Madagascar element of our chocolate, and it means like amazing flavor in Malagasy. And then the so on the end with the accent uh, means uh, luxury in Gaelic. I'm also a bit Irish as well as Welsh, so a bit of everything. So the whole thing together really sums up a Rosso. That's excellent. I have to say, people struggle quite often with their um with their company names, and um, it's nice to hear a good story rather than something that's almost picked at random. I think sometimes I completely get it. Actually, it's uh, it's something that can be super time consuming in terms of generating something. Um, it is. It took a long time to come up with it. Actually, <laughs> you know, we had the brand quite established, but we didn't have a name. You know. So. There was a lot of pressure at the end, actually, to sort of, and then I realised we had to make it up. So, tell me about the idea, your light bulb moment, coming to your first product. Okay, so one thing I realised um, with having a foodie background 
that when I was starting to develop it is that coffee tastes of coffee, wine tastes of wine, and most products actually taste of what they're you know they're actually named named for yes. but with chocolate the first thing you taste is sugar and I thought well this can't be right because people aren't tasting the chocolate um and then the more I looked into it I realized that the sugar was there to disguise the quality of the chocolate mm-hmm. so I knew I had to find the most amazing chocolate for, for it to work for me to take the sugar out And the other thing I realized, the other big light bulb thing for me was that there's this point, and I call it this magic point that the sugar takes over. And I think it's probably true for most foods that you, if you taste the sugar first, everything else is like masked, what's going on. So that's why we shell and in 90%, that's why the the magic 90%, because it's really interesting that 85% is two is to, is the sugar that comes first interesting and we didn't want that we wanted the chocolate always to be in the forefront right right well that's really really interesting to be able to get to that point where you understand exactly where that balance is that helps going forward did you um did you do anything early on to validate your ideas yes we I did lots of research um within the industry and I also spoke to a lot of retailers as well. And, you know, the feedback they were giving me is that they wanted something with a shelf life. They didn't want a fresh produce, which is why we went down that sort of shelf life route. Yes. Um, I joined chocolate forums. Um, I signed up to get sort of industry news on chocolate. Like, um, so that was really useful. And everybody was saying, you know, there's too much sugar in chocolate. It's like the holy grail. But you know, people aren't doing it. Um, and I think because I'd been on that sugar journey myself, I knew how to do it, if you like. I had a better idea what to do with it. Um, so, and it's interesting historically, because chocolate, you know, even in Victorian times was such poor quality, they had to put lots of sugar in to even make it edible. Mm-hmm. And that whole sort of sugar technique of preserving chocolate has sort of become sort of set in stone if you like in the chocolate industry but it doesn't have to be like that (laughs) no that that's great so um what what was the first product you actually developed and how did you set about developing it well interestingly um I chose the most difficult product to do so that was Another thing to do from that point of view. Um, so we chose, um, I chose sort of ganache bars to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I had to do is to ch- find um, a chocolate that was naturally fruity and sweet. Mm-hmm. And I did that just by tasting and reviewing and things. Um, lots and lots of chocolate at 100%, which I was used to eating 100% anyway, to be honest. But I knew it would have to be something very special. And I eventually found the chocolate Madagascar, which we use, the Coverture, which we use. Um, it's, it's single origin. It's unusually, this is one of the big things about it. It's so amazing because it's actually made in Madagascar. So it's made in 15 days, which makes it super, super fresh. I mean, they've had it all tested. It's got more 
flavonoids and antioxidants than broccoli has. It's so fresh. Um, they, the plantations actually are all organic, but only half are certified because it's very expensive for them to do so. But the, all the chocolate actually is organic. Uh, it's very ethical, which because it's actually made there and it's supporting 500 families. That was really important to me because after living in Africa and seeing all raw material going out to be processed, mm. um, I wanted something that if possible was made in origin, which, which this is. It's, it's multi award winning. It's, it's won the Golden Bean Award lots and lots of times. Um, so that was when I found the chocolate, it's a very naturally fruity and sweet, and I knew it would work with this chocolate, whereas other ones just weren't the same at all. Um, I also wanted to make sure the packaging was sustainable. Uh, we've lived all over the place, and the sort of plant, I'm very, very anti plastics. So we set all the packaging up um, to be either recyclable or compostable. So we wrap everything by hand which is a bit of a pain, <laughs> but it's, that's, that's what we want to do. Uh, we wanted the product to be clean and pure with no preservatives or soy lecithin or artificial colorings. And we didn't want to use any synthetic sugars either because because mm. I think what a lot of the industry is doing is just swapping the sugar out for them and it's still causing the sort of whole blood sugar spike thing. Um, so I had to create a new way to make the ganaches. And that's when I spoke to Mel because I was concerned about shelf life and things. And she sort of put me on the right track and she came up with lots of suggestions how I could do that. Um, and so I went away and started to do that and lots of development. And we got ALS to do all the testing on the shelf life. And um, what was interesting because the sugar isn't there or there's very little sugar. Um, the flavors really, really come through, and we spend a lot of time balancing those flavors. It's really important that the whole ganache is in balance with the different flavors. Um, so with that, we got to six months shelf life um, out of them, and in April 2020, uh, we launched with nine nine flavors. That was, was the first product. Oh, that's amazing! So. Um... It's something I know we've talked about previously, but um, sometimes launching with nine flavours can be super, super difficult and stretchy quite thin if you're a new startup company. Obviously, because you've, you're making product yourself, you're very much in control of how much you buy ingredient wise and otherwise. It's uh, I think it's quite interesting um, to to do that. Often people will start with maybe three. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's fascinating. Um, so. Um, Moving on a bit then, so you have a very stylish e-commerce site. Um, is that your primary channel? Um, do, you, do you sell yeah. Yes, it probably is. I mean, I, we took the decision we wanted to go online rather than in a physical shop or with um, supermarkets, uh, mainly from a margin re reason as well. I mean, our chocolate is, the coverture is more than double price-wise than sort of Calibut, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to maximise our own margins as much as possible. Uh, so, yes, it is our main site. Um, we're then obviously direct to customer, uh, which we wanted to do. Um, so, but we also do go into uh, retailers and markets as well. So, um 
I know you have some good learnings actually from having to develop a website in an online shop. Um, is there anything you think would be useful for um, the people listening today? Um, yes. Well, I can I can tell you from what I think I should have done and didn't do. Uh, um, <laughs> is certainly before you start, do as much um, read up about it, do a course about it. Um, the more knowledge that you've got, the more in control you're going to be rather than in a web developer's hands, for instance. Um, and but also the branding is also really, really important. Um, and when we started our branding probably three months into development of the actual product, and it should have probably been started at least six weeks before. I mean, everything always takes longer, um, but yeah. it's all has to run consecutively really which which is different but also I think it's really important that you understand what your brand is um you know that you can't go to web developer if you don't know what your brand is so mm-hmm. all has to come first that's that's my experience anyway no that's it's really useful to understand I know everyone's experiences are different but it's uh, it's useful to hear about things you've learned along the way um so you're you're currently selling online um and i know it's then that's changed a bit since you launched how, how have you found the process of trying to get stocked and talking to retailers um i mean we are we are in some retailers um we also go to local markets now which we couldn't do with the when the pandemic first started because we actually launched three weeks into the pandemic which was a crazy time to do it um so when we when we launched, I, I re, it was that first month during the pandemic, and it was, it was a very scary time. I mean, my my children had grown up and they weren't with us, and that, it was all really really unsettling and frightening. So I nearly didn't launch, but everybody said just do it in like a low key way, and I said because I'd been working on it for months by this stage when everything was ready. So I said fine, we'll do that, um, and then three weeks later we had our first observer review and then it all just went absolutely nuts and crazy. And we had over 700 orders in two days. So mm-hmm. we had to <laughs> work out how we were going to do that. Um, but that was fine. Um, I mean, I, I do have some retailers. I have some fantastic retailers, but they're all really the same ethos as myself. And they really understand the ethical journey and the sustainability and the reduced sugar element of it. Um, So we did decide we didn't want to go into supermarkets at the beginning. Um, I think it was mainly like a margin thing as well with, um, you know, it's it's artisan, it's handmade. um, So we may change our mind, who knows, but uh, maybe not. So I know, and I'm going to blow Catherine's trumpet here a little bit as well, that you've you've turned down some um, opportunities to retail because they didn't fit with your ethos or they were just trying to take too margin. I think too much margin, sorry. I think that's um, you know testament to actually knowing what you want for your business and um, knowing what will be good for your business versus just saying yes to everyone. Um, I think it's, it's harder to say no um, with something, um, but... Yes, I, th- I think it is important. You, you you need to sort of understand 
the product and who's going to get it and where you want to go with it. Um, I mean, the markets have been great for us locally. We started to do those about two months ago mm-hmm. because it's the only time I get actually face-to-face customer uh, contact. And that's that's really great. Um, and also it's not niche customer, which my product tends to be. Um, it's everybody, which I really love when, you know, kids of six absolutely adore the chocolate. I, I'm, it just makes my day. It's the most <laughs> thrilling thing when they actually come and go, mummy, mummy, this posh chocolate, we've got to get, we've got to get some, which is lovely. That's amazing. So I know you've, you've, um, you've just recently had some amazing feedback on your newer products, your, um, your honey-based products. Um, do, do you have, have you had useful feedback generally from your customers on the products? Um, is there anything you found um, useful? Yes, I mean, especially when we started going to markets, we weren't doing a solid bar and at least one or two customers would say to me, do you have a solid bar? And after about the third market, I thought, you know, they're actually telling me something here. <laughs> I need to do a solid bar. So we do a 90% solid bar and 90% milk now which they're not online yet, but I've been taken to the markets and they're really popular. I mean, I sold 20 last market, which, mm-hmm. which is really good. Well, that's, uh-huh. that's fantastic. Um, so I, you've, do, you've done amazingly in terms of getting cur- coverage in places like the Observer. Um, and, you know, you're clearly quite switched on when it comes to things like PR and marketing. Do you have any advice for other producers in looking to build their brand and market their products uh I don't know I would say I'm switched on I think <laughs> seems to be <laughs> I think um with the observer I was very lucky with with the observer um with getting picked up um on the reduced sugar side when we first started um I think I mean there's, there's like a sort of there's two ways I found that I do it one is following people on Instagram or Twitter and sort of connecting that way if they've got the same sort of interests as you that's that's something I think you can start doing even when you're developing the brand um and then also we I joined PR Dispatch who uh I think yes they I'm not sure where they're based now they were London based but I'm not sure they are after the pandemic um and they basically teach you how to do your own uh it's like a membership thing for small businesses and they've been really really helpful they they teach you how to do it yourself and you know you still got to do it um but they they do provide the contacts um for your industry um and then it's just a matter of getting those emails out and following up with them uh I think also it's really important to get professional images done. I'm sure we've been um, featured because of our images. Um, we have a very good photographer. They do look great, actually. Your bonbons look amazing on the website. Um, I've put a link, actually, just for everyone to know early, early on in the, in the chat, actually, if you want to have a look at Catherine's website. Um, so have you, um, have you been to any shows or events to promote your products? And do you have any recommendations? Um, I haven't. I, I did go to the speciality fair, um, the one that's just been on in mm-hmm. London before when I was doing the development thing and that sort of gave me lots of ideas. But it's not really where it wouldn't benefit us as a business to actually exhibit there because I'm not wanting to go into supermarkets. So no is the answer really. Okay. 
No, that's good. And again, you know, you're choosing the right things for you and your your business. Um, okay, all right. Before I overrun too much, uh, last last question then. Is there anything that you wish you'd gone back and um, told yourself at the start of this process that you've learned along the way? Um, there's quite a few, I would say. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it's quite important. I really wish I'd worked out what skills I needed and what skills, what skills I had and what skills I needed and to fill that gap before I started. Um, I would, you know, really list down from a business perspective, not so much on the product side, but on the business side, um, you know, for instance, I'd have done a website course, I'd have done an e-commerce course, I'd have done a business Instagram course. All those things would have been really, really useful rather than trying to learn on the way. Um, find a good accountant. It's pretty early on. Find a good accountant so you're set up in exactly the right way. I have, I've got a brilliant accountant. Um, I also have the most amazing support from friends and family. Uh, our son is a graphic designer and he is our brand manager. Uh, our daughter and her partner really, really help me on the creative side. Um, but also, you know, talk to people, you know, when before, as you're developing, talk, to, go and see retailers. You know, it doesn't have to be Waitrose or somebody. It can be a deli. Um, and just to get sort of feedback with with what you what you're trying to do well that's really helpful thank you um okay I'm going to stop I would could happily carry on asking questions for a long time but um I can see I'll, I'll start off if anyone wants to um unmute and ask a question feel free or if you want to put one in the chat but I can see Monique put one in early on sorry Monique I've made you wait a little bit um Monique asks given that you're direct um primarily direct to consumer have you done any Facebook or Instagram or similar ads for acquisition? I, I have tried um, both Instagram and Facebook ads. Um, I got a lot of traffic, but I didn't get sales. And it's interesting. I do view Instagram as more of a PR thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's where a retailer will go. It's where an editor will go. A customer will go to sort of verify who you are. Um, so we try and keep it, you know, there, there's a pattern, there's a grid to it. I, we try and keep it as professional as we can. We only use um, our professional images on it. So I didn't find that worked for me. Okay, interesting. Did you find any other um, channels that did work better? We, we do do mail outs and I had some really good advice um, from a PR company on mail outs that basically, you know, they're not the um, people think they're a bit old fashioned, but they work. You know, I mean, they you, you've got those customers signed up. Um, they like your product. Uh, use it basically and that is one of our primary marketing tools mm -hmm. what are your plans for the next 12 months what's what, what's looking like going forward well we've got new products all lined up the uh chocolate season is is uh, unusual compared with the other food product our main season runs from sort of september through to may so and it's really important with being online that you have all those products all lined up, ready to go. So um, sometimes we've got some extra ones in. So we've been we've been doing that. Uh, 
I want to sort of start to establish Arosso as the sort of leading reduced sugar high-end chocolate brand in the market as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've started doing that, but we need to sort of carry on doing that. And then also I want to start um, becoming the presence as well in the chocolate market as the person who knows about reduced sugar chocolate. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. Okay, Julia's um, typed a question in the chat now. Thank you, Julia. Sorry for that. Um, how do you prevent your food from breaking and spoiling when you're sending it in the post? Um, okay. Um, affordable rates for doing it. Okay. Um, well, there's sort of two things, I suppose. First of all, the chocolate has to be made really well, really tempered. Um, then it's going to be much more stable and the ganaches are also tempered. So the whole, the product itself is tempered. The ganache bars are wrapped in foil. And then, I don't know if Julie can see them, we have our cartons, which are quite substantial. Uh, in another life, I used to um, be in charge of some packaging in a company I used to work for. And one of the things that my big takeaway from that is movement. You do not want movement in any packaging if you're posting it or couriering it or whatever. So, um, the, the bar doesn't move in this it's as you can see it's locked it's locked in with this so there's it's not moving around in this but also when we're packaging it in our postal boxes it doesn't move you know we do it as such that the whole package is solid inside we mm -hmm. use very strong postal cartons um and i don't think i think i've only had one instance of something being damaged and i think the postman had actually jammed it through the post post box oh, pulled it out um, <laughs> so we, we, we did we, we did test initially by like throwing it around the kitchen <laughs> so this is and it, the key to it is the movement you have to make sure there's no movement in it now that's that's top advice i could thoroughly echo that actually we send a lot of samples out to people and have to be super careful um okay a few more questions right from the beginning how did you find the first customers without any social media I did have social media before I started um I had some very good advice uh from our web developer to say I needed a holding page on the website to mm -hmm. say coming and also to start um social media Instagram as well so I was doing both for at least over six weeks before we launched which was really good advice that's, that's good thank you actually and another this is not a question but this is nice feedback actually um just from toy and she's just um saying thank, thank you for being very honest and candid actually about your experience i think i think um toy had the same experience on um, facebook and instagram which is interesting okay question um on the market actually how did you did or how did you or did you go about looking at your potential market size early on or the size of your opportunity size of opportunity uh i didn't measure it put it that way um i think just talking to retailers and talking and in the industry i decided there was a niche market for it um so from that point of view it was a gamble i hadn't worked out any figures uh i just thought you know there are people out there who want to have reduced sugar chocolate luxury reduced sugar chocolate okay very good um question i might have to make this last one actually from pamela's um she's asking where and how do you manufacture and if you 
have a manufacturer how did you start with one or if you're making yourself do you plan to go to a manufacturer um no I make it myself um I don't intend to go to manufacturer I think Mel it's something Mel has asked me every few months are you going to manufacturer and the answer is no um I'm very fortunate in uh I the, the kitchen I do it in was used for catering so it's really really big and it's it's our kitchen at home but if I started again from scratch in a unit that would be the kitchen I would I would put in I'd put granite everywhere which for chocolate is just perfect we have an inverter so we can chocolate at any time regardless of the weather um so if it gets to a stage where my machinery is, is and I need to upgrade to a different size which will happen at some stage um I think what I'll probably do is get a unit in the garden rather than I, I love working from home. I really do. We're very fortunate. We're in Oxfordshire and we've got we're in the countryside and we see red kites and hares around from the window. And I don't know why I want to give that up. And I wouldn't. Oh, that's very good. No, look, I mean lots of people, lots of people do move on to external manufacturer, but plenty of people don't. You know, it's a, it's interesting to see and it does ultimately have to um suit you I'm going to have to um call it the day but say thank you I've had lots of kind thank yous in the chat to you Catherine and wholeheartedly from me as well I really appreciate your time today have a great weekend everyone and thank you again Catherine thank Uh, you very much hope to see everyone next week take care bye-bye if you've got a question about your product development you can always contact us via the website www.froghop.co.uk You can book a free of charge introductory call at www.bocop.co.uk forward slash meet. You'll find a wealth of free resources for starting, developing and scaling your food or drink product and business at www.bocop.co.uk forward slash resources.